Thank you for listening to this teaching from Kingdom Discipleship. Oftentimes, we come to a place in the Bible where the scriptures are not written about us as believers in Jesus Christ. Regrettably, we generally give little to no thought to what application they can actually have for us as Christians. Let's open now to 2 Timothy 3 and see how we can get all we can from the living Word of God. Well, good morning and welcome to another teaching. It's Friday morning here. I have my coffee. Stephen and I are here and we're, uh, we're going to do this teaching here. It's going to be a little bit different. It's going to be a, a different kind of teaching. I've had some, um, I've had some different requests. You know, some people keep bringing it up over and over and over and over. You know, we're going to do a, a different kind of teaching here where we're going to get into a part of the Bible. We're going to use this text. It's going to be Second uh, Timothy 3 verses 1 through 9. And we're going to discuss the, first we're going to discuss the theology of the text. Um, we're going to discuss who the text applies to, who it is speaking to contextually. And then we're going to get into ways that, uh, how it applies to us personally, depending on where we are in our walk, uh, depending on whether we are uh, uh, genuine Christians, and so we're going to hit uh, we're going to hit both sides of this. We're gonna we're gonna talk about how to teach a text like this and why, you know, how to approach a text like this in a balanced way. And as I said, it's going to be Second Timothy three verses one through nine. We're just going to go ahead and read it, and uh, then we'll get right into it. So. Lord Jesus, we thank you and praise you for the word of God. We thank you for your mercy on our lives. We do ask you to open our hearts now, Holy Spirit, that we might study your word. Uh, we ask you to lead us and guide us in this time. Teach us, Holy Spirit. Father, we love you. We bless you and we thank you. We commit this time into your hands. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Verse 1, but mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with them. They are the kind who worm their way into homes and gain control over weak-willed women who are loaded down with sins and swayed by all kinds of evil desires, always learning, but never able to acknowledge the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres oppose Moses, so also these men oppose the truth. Men of depraved minds who as far as the faith is concerned, are rejected. But they will not get very far because, as in the case of those men, their folly will be clear to everyone. We always ask ourselves the question, why 
is this in the Bible? And just like with all scriptures, we go to Romans 15, 4, that says everything that was written in the past was written to teach us uh, or to instruct us. And so we want to see, you know, what is the instruction that this has for us? Now, we want to begin and, and get into the doctrine of the text. And what I mean by that is what is the theology here? And in order to do that, we want to see who is the, who is the text speaking about when it speaks about uh, verse 1, there will be terrible times in the last days. And then Paul goes on to give the qualities that men and women will be walking in. One of the first questions that should come to our hearts is, you know, wow, when I read this, I actually can see that I myself have, unfortunately, still have some struggles with, with many of these things, if not most of these things, at different times in my life. And so it begs the question, you know, one would ask, uh, is this talking about me? Um, and we're going to get into the answer of that. The short answer is that if, if you're a true and genuine Christian, if you have truly received Jesus into your heart and you're trusting in him today actively as your only Lord and Savior for the forgiveness of your sins and the salvation of your soul, then you're saved, you're a Christian, and this text is not about you. Now, we're going to get into how the text still will have application to you, but the text wasn't written for believers in Christ. That's, that wasn't its main purpose. The main purpose of this text is to point out unbelievers and what their identity is. And this is talking about unbelievers in the end times, and the end times is as we get closer to Jesus' return, and, you know, where the Lord, you know, makes a new heaven and new earth and there's tribulation. And it says as time goes on, people will get more and more ungodly. And so it's speaking about unbelievers as we grow closer and closer to the end of all things and, and how they get increasingly worse in their character in every way. And so that's who the text is speaking about, and, and we'll walk through that theologically. But at the same time, um, as a believer in Jesus Christ, someone who is saved, someone who's born again and has Jesus living in them, there are people who, who listen to this that sometimes when you hear that phrase born again, it seems confusing to you. So I'll, we'll, we'll talk about what that means for a second. When we come into this world, the Bible says that when we, when we are conceived, the Bible actually teaches we're conceived in sin, meaning uh, we're physically alive, but we have a nature that's called a sinful nature, and, and that nature is in rebellion against the things of God. So we're born naturally alive when we come into this world, but we're born spiritually dead with an actual nature to sin. We're born with an, a selfish, sinful nature that wants our own way. And we can see it active in, in really every aspect of our lives, in our family's lives, certainly in our children's lives, and um, in the world at large. People have a bend, an inward bend, to want their own way. Now, because of this nature of sin that we, we have at our birth, 
and we received it back when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. They passed that sinful nature into their children, and it's been passed down into all of us. Um, because we're born with this nature, we're born naturally alive, but our spirit is dead. We're born spiritually dead. So simply put, to be born again means that, that your spirit needs to be born again. You're naturally alive, but you need to be spiritually alive. Now, when you ask Jesus to come into your heart genuinely and to be the Lord of your life and to save you from your sin, his spirit, the Holy Spirit, will come and join himself to your spirit, your dead spirit. And when he does that, you become alive. You explode into spiritual life. The spirit of God joined with your spirit brings your spirit alive in this explosion of new life. And you are now born again spiritually. You are now alive spiritually, one with the spirit of Jesus or the Holy Spirit living in you. And, you know, this happens at salvation when your sins are forgiven based on what Jesus has done at the cross. So simply speaking, this is what it means to be born again. It means to come into spiritual life through Jesus Christ when you truly receive him as your savior and, and pray and, and just ask him, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. I ask you now to be the Lord of my life and to save me from my sin and to bring me to heaven when I die. Jesus, I place all my faith, hope, and trust in you alone to save me and to be my everlasting Lord and God. Uh, that's how we're saved from our sin. That's how we become uh, children of God. That's how God the Father becomes our heavenly Father when we receive Jesus. And that's how we get born again spiritually. So that's what that means. Um, I've run into many, many people who just who find that uh, this term to be born again. We actually get it from Jesus in John 3, um, where Jesus explains to Nicodemus, unless you be born again, you cannot understand the things of the kingdom of God. They won't make sense to you. And of course, Nicodemus is, is like us most of the time. He, he's thinking about the natural and physical world. He says to Jesus, how, how can a man be born again when he's old? He can't get back into his mother's womb. And Jesus says to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, flesh gives birth to flesh. The spirit is what gives birth and gives you a new birth spiritually. And so you'll find that in John 3, the gospel of John chapter 3, if you want to look it up. So these people have not been born again, okay? The context of these people is it's speaking about unbelievers whose identity, this is who they are, okay? As a believer, this is not our identity. As believers in Jesus Christ, our identity is as children of God our Father in Jesus Christ, in Jesus Christ, God the Father is our heavenly Father. And that is your identity if you have received Jesus as your Savior, that you are a son or daughter of God the Father, that you are the bride of Jesus Christ, that you, you walk filled with the Holy Spirit. You walk and are joined in one with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of Jesus lives in you. This is your identity. You are one with Jesus, 
You are his bride. God the Father is your heavenly father. He loves you unconditionally. This is who you are. This is your identity if you've received Jesus as your savior. However, unfortunately, when we look at these qualities from verse 2 to verse 4 and even verse 5, we, as believers, when we read these, uh, we can see that that unfortunately, many of these qualities are still active in our lives. Unfortunately, they're still, they're things we still engage in. They're sins we still fall in. If you look at verse 2, people will be lovers of themselves. Um, as believers, we truly do struggle with self-love. Self-love is, is when, when we think about ourselves and our life in our interests, our wives, our children, our money, our problems, our difficulties, um, you know, my ministry, it's all me, me, I, I. Self-love is when we're completely obsessed with ourselves and our life and our family and our money and just everything that has to do with me, right? It's, a, it's an utterly and completely myopic focus. Obviously, anyone listening to this can recognize that they do spend, uh, you know, a lot of time in their lives being a lover of themselves. If you recall, um, when the man came to Jesus and said, you know, what's the, the most important thing for me to do? Jesus explained to him, the single most important thing for you to do is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and all your strength. And then he said, the second is to love your neighbor as you love yourself. Jesus said, you do love yourself. You can tell what you love most by what you think about most. And frankly, I, I think about myself all day long, right? As those things I just talked about. I think about me, my life, my wife, my kids, my money, my ministry, my problems, my difficulty, my lunch, my fun, um, what have you. People will be lovers of themselves. And so we do love ourselves. But Jesus said to love your neighbor as you love yourself. So when, and so what that would mean is just how you and I think about ourselves and our life and our interests and our families. Think about your neighbor. And that's just anyone that's near you or around you, wherever you are, you know. Think about them and how their life and their problems and their difficulties and their family and, you know, think about them and pray for them and see how you can love and be a blessing to them as well, just as you do yourself in your own life, in your own interests, right? So when we read this, we certainly see application to us as believers, now, again, this is not written for believers theologically. I think one of the great mistakes we make if we were to go to seminary or if you were to take a Bible class, generally I see scriptures like this taught and they're completely and only taught for the context, which is that this is written for unbelievers who will grow in increasing godlessness and wickedness in the last days and that is what this is that is the context of this however i believe we make a mistake when we don't look and find application for us as believers 
Uh, this came up yesterday in Bible study. One of the guys came and he had been reading this passage and, and he was convicted in most of these things here. Now, this man is a, is a, is a sound Christian man. He's growing in his, his walk with Jesus Christ. And, and he, for the most part, was seeing this as an application to him, which, of course, was a good thing. But then we, we actually did it as the Bible study yesterday, and we saw that this was not written for a believer, but it is a healthy thing for a believer when he reads it to, first of all, know, okay, this is written for an unbeliever who has not received Jesus Christ. It actually says that. It actually says that as far as the faith is concerned, verse 8, uh, they're rejected, right? Meaning that they have rejected Jesus Christ. And because of that, he has rejected them. Okay. Now, when I say that, I'm not saying that even people in this place, right, can be saved. Even someone who is not saved, the mercy of Jesus Christ is so great, so overwhelming, that even people who are living like this can still be saved. But this particular nine verses are about unsaved people. However, as I said, when you look through these qualities and you can clearly see them active in your life, it is a place um, that offers us an aspect where we should be convicted. This man from Bible study yesterday was convicted, and that was a good thing. He said, man, I just, so many of these things, if not all of them, I still seem to occasionally struggle with people will be lovers of themselves lovers of money how much do you think about money how much time during the day do you have your mind on money and what you can do and what you can buy and how much you have and how much you need and how much you want boastful proud abusive disobedient to their parents ungrateful unholy without love unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And so we discussed in Bible study and they, uh, these men could see all of these things that occasionally they would still struggle with some pride, right? Um, they would still say some, some things to their family that, you know, when they were frustrated, that could be considered abusive, right? Um, you know, they, they still have times of, of boastfulness, right? In some areas of their lives. And so the question came, man, I, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ and I still struggle with some conceit, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God. They, they could see areas where they still um, love the world and they love to, to really do fun things in the world, oftentimes more than they love Jesus, right? And if we look into our own hearts, we can certainly see that sometimes the pleasure the world offers us or the fun the world offers us is often more intriguing to us than Jesus Christ, right? And so it was good that they read these things and they were convicted of them. And certainly when we prayed at the end, um, each of these men repented over the areas in their lives that these things are active. And, and they asked the, the Spirit of God to help them to continue to grow 
more like Jesus and away from these things. But the important thing to understand is what is the difference between a believer in Jesus, a genuine Christian who's received Jesus as their savior, they're saved, they're born again, their sins are forgiven, they're going to heaven, and, and they struggle with these things, and an unbeliever who is living in these things. What is the difference between the two, and how are we to use this scripture in our lives? So, first we'll talk about the unbeliever. Okay, this again, this text is written contextually to refer only to unbelievers. Its purpose is to show you the increasing wickedness as the end times grow closer and closer of how people will continue to grow in these things. And here's the key. They want to grow in these things. Their identity is in these things. This is who they are. Now you remember I said, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you have received him as your Lord and Savior, your identity is as a son or daughter of God, your father. You're a son or daughter of the kingdom of God. God the Father is your heavenly Father. Jesus Christ is your Lord, your Master, your King, your God, your Savior, your friend, and your husband. You are the Bride of Christ. Uh, you are loved unconditionally by the Trinity, uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That is your identity. That is who you are. Now, you struggle with many of these things on a day-to-day -day basis, and you ought to have a desire to, to continually walk out of these things, right? Let's say you struggle with abusive words where you, where you just consistently are saying things, it seems, that are, that are sinful. Well, you ought to look to repent because that's, that's not who you are. But that is a struggle in your life that comes out of your sinful nature that you still struggle with. Um, let's say your self-control isn't very good. In the church, we have a terrible problem. This says slanderous. Slanderous is when you speak poorly about other people outside of their presence. <laughs> yeah. Forgive us, Lord Jesus. Try to think about that. Okay? If you're listening to this right now, how often do you speak in a way that's uncomplimentary about anyone outside their presence? That's slander whether it's true or not, okay? There's just really, there's no benefit to it. There's really no benefit to speaking poorly about other people, right? Um, now, many will say, you know, slander often is when it's, it's, it's not true. But biblically, Jesus doesn't want us to speak poorly really about anyone. There's no benefit to it. We want to speak the truth in love, right? And we are called to make judgments, to, to, to call right, right, and wrong, wrong. But we don't want to be judgmental. We don't want to be critical. We just don't want to point out other people's wrong for the sake of it. And that's what someone who's slanderous does. And they don't care whether it's true or not oftentimes. The difference, again, between these people and a believer who's struggling with these things is as a believer in Jesus Christ, 
You have conviction over these things. You don't want to walk in these things. Uh, where you see it says lovers of money, where you have too great a concern over money, uh, that should cause you a conviction. You ought to have a place in your heart where you, you say, you know, Lord Jesus, I, I don't want to be so consumed with money and, and, uh, and what I can get in this world with money. And, and I ask you to forgive me, Jesus, and help me, Lord, to have a, a greater concern for you and, a, and, and, and not be so concerned with money. Um, that ought to be your heart, right? You ought to see money as a tool to do the work of the kingdom of God, right? But for many believers, um, you know, money is a is a massive stumbling block, right? Because almost all of our trust can be in money instead of in Jesus, right? Generally, the more money you have, the easier it is to put your trust in money because money is what gets you everything you want. You remember when Jesus said it's very hard for a rich man to, to enter in and experience the kingdom of heaven. And again, that's because the more wealth you have, the easier it is to trust in that wealth. Because frankly, it's that wealth that gives you the comforts you like, the enjoyments you like, the pleasures you like, the food you like. Um, the more money you have, the more you can just do whatever you want to do. And so it is very difficult, the more money you have, to to not really trust in it at some level. And we do struggle with this as believers. You do and I do, okay? And that's where we need help, right? We want to ask Jesus to help us. And there should be a desire. When you're hearing this, you should be convicted and say, you know what, yeah, I don't want to, to love money. I want to love Jesus. Um, it says that they're conceited, right? If you think you're better than someone... If you think your person is better than someone just because you're you and they're them, that's conceit, where you think you're superior. If you have some of that in your heart, there, there ought to be a grief in you and say, Lord, I, I don't want to be conceited. Um, we're all made in the image of God. All human beings are equal at the foot of the cross. Every human being is, is, is a sinful person. And every human being needs Jesus as their savior, regardless of whether you're man or woman, black, white, Hispanic, Asian. Um, uh, it doesn't matter where you live. We are all equal at the foot of the cross and in the sight of God, right? All humanity is equal. All of us need Jesus equally. And in Christ, we all equally become his children. It says lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Certainly we can identify with that. Certainly we can see aspects of our lives where we do love to do fun things. We do love pleasures, things that we enjoy, right? Whether whatever our hobbies are, right? Whether it could be TV, it could be social media, um, it could be exercising, it could be uh, Xbox, it could be video games, whatever it is. Whatever your hobbies are, it could be drinking. Whatever it is that your hobbies are, um, hanging out with friends, oftentimes we that's more fun for us, and we love that and enjoy that more than we do Jesus. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. So the question becomes, as a, as a believer, what are we to do when we see this? So the first thing to understand when you read this is although you struggle with these things, 
these things are not who you are. These things are not your identity. You are not trying to grow and increase in these very poor qualities. These people, this behavior is their identity. This is actually who they want to be. This is who they're striving to be, and they want to get better at it, believe it or not. Stephen was sharing with me this morning that uh, yesterday when he got home from Bible study, he was sharing uh, the teaching with, uh, with Susanna, and, uh, and she had mentioned uh, the, the scripture in verse 13 that said, while evil men and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. So these people want to increase in loving themselves. They want to increase in being lovers of money. They want to be more boastful, more proud. They want to be more abusive. They want to be more ungrateful, as ridiculous as that sounds. They want to be more unholy. They want to be more unforgiving. They, they have slander in their life, and they want it to increase. They want to be more brutal. It says they're not lovers of the good. They don't want to love anything good. Now, when you think about that, that's not you, okay? Um, if it is you, if you can relate to it, you do want to fall on your face and say, Jesus, have mercy on me. Please come into my heart. Save me from my sin. Be the Lord of my life, and he will do it. There is nothing that you've ever done or can do or will do that can keep you from Jesus Christ loving you and saving you and forgiving you of your sins, okay? But these people want none of that. They don't want Jesus. They have rejected him. They have pushed him away and they don't want him at all. They actually oppose Jesus. They oppose the gospel. So that's not you as a believer in Jesus Christ. I've talked about who your identity is in Jesus and in God as your heavenly father. God the Father is your heavenly father. So when we step back and we look at these nine verses, again, when we approach these nine verses, we're trying to talk about how we th you know, think about them, how we use them, how we work through them. So theologically, again, the first thing to understand is who this is written for, okay? And this is, verse 1 says, but mark this, there'll be terrible times in the last days. Verse 2, people will be lovers. So in the last days, this will be the quality. As time goes on and on and on, and we do see this, more and more and more, we see, we see unbelievers and people increasingly wanting to grow in these ways. Now, don't get me wrong. Obviously, there are, 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 are millions of unbelievers who don't behave in these ways, okay? This is speaking about a particular kind of unbeliever, okay, in the last days that just continues to want to grow and get better at all kinds of ungodly wickedness. Again, they want to be more conceited. They want to love pleasure more. They don't want to love Jesus at all. And then there's just the deceptive power of it all. It says, verse 5, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. Paul says, have nothing to do with them. Verse 5, that's the whole verse. Have nothing to do with them. Um, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, okay, 
and you're claiming that he is your savior and you have not only all of these qualities active in your life, but you have no desire to repent and you want to continue in all these things. You think it's okay that you're slanderous. You think it's okay that you're unforgiving. You think it's good that you're without love. Then you're not really saved. Okay. And, and I know that's a heavy statement. Okay. If you're in a place right now where you're brutal Rash, conceited, proud, boastful, abusive, lovers of money, and you think that's a good thing, and you are trying to get better at being this way, you're not a Christian. Okay? You have a form of godliness. You may talk about God, but you have completely denied its power. Because the very power of God, the very power of Jesus that lives in you, will make these things repulsive to you. And the closer you get to him, the more repulsed you'll be by the pride in your own life, the boastfulness of your own life. You'll be disturbed at any areas that you're not forgiving. If you're a Christian in Jesus Christ, your life needs to be marked by forgiveness. You have been forgiven such a massive debt, as have I in Jesus Christ. There is nothing in your life that you cannot, should not forgive. We must walk in forgiveness. Now again, our salvation is not based on this. Going to heaven and being forgiven of our sin is not based on how forgiving we are. However, for us to grow in our intimacy with Jesus and walk intimately with him, we do need to have a lifestyle of forgiveness. Um, the more you walk in self-serving, selfish behavior, the more it will affect how intimately you experience relationship with Jesus. Your relationship with Jesus is not at all dependent on how you live your life. You come into relationship with Jesus based on what he's done. You get saved and have your sins forgiven entirely based on what Jesus has done. Um, you become a son or daughter of God the Father only based on receiving Jesus as your Savior. Only going before Jesus in humility and saying, Jesus, I know I'm a sinful man or woman, and I ask you to forgive me and come in and be the Lord of my life, Jesus. I ask you to be my Savior. That's how you get saved from your sin and go to heaven. That's how you enter into relationship with Jesus as your Lord and Master and King and Savior. That's how you enter into relationship where God the Father becomes your Heavenly Father. But now, how you grow in these relationships how you experience these relationships. That is dependent on how you walk. And in this case, abstain more and more from these things. Okay? One of these qualities is ungrateful. Right? One of the most important qualities we should have is true thankfulness and gratitude. If you look into your heart, and, and as, my, as my buddy Ed said, you know, I, I just don't see a lot of gratitude in my heart. But see, he was convicted about it. And he knew it. So as a believer in Jesus Christ, where you see these areas active in your life, there ought to be conviction and a desire to, to, to move away from any of these things, right? So if you happen to be listening to this somewhere around the world, and you can actually see that you talk about Jesus and you talk about God, you have a, quote, outward 
form of godliness, verse 5. But you deny its power, meaning you, you do walk in all of these things. You walk in them consistently and you have no desire to change them. You need to truly get saved. You need to have Jesus in your heart. Okay? And as a believer in Jesus Christ, if you have these areas and where you and I have them, of course we want to repent and ask Jesus to help us to get out of them. So wrapping up, um, we've seen again the purpose of the text. The purpose of the text is about an increasingly wicked end time unbeliever who's rejected Jesus, who wants nothing to do with Jesus. Okay, And that their identity is in all of these poor qualities. This is actually who they are. It's who they want to be. And they want to grow to be all these things more. As crazy as that sounds. And Paul is telling us, the closer we get to the end times, the more you will actually find people like this. And, and we can see it in the world today. Now, so this doesn't apply to you as a, a true believer in Jesus Christ. However, the text can and should be used to us as believers in as much that when we see these qualities in our life, that we want to we wanna be convicted of them and we want to ask for forgiveness and we want to consistently ask the Lord to help us to walk out of these things wherever they're active in our lives, where, where we have an inordinate amount of love for ourselves, where we do love money, where we have areas of boastfulness and pride, where sometimes we speak abusively, when, we, when we're ungrateful, when we do have areas where we're not holy. Um, in all these things, all of this sin was forgiven when you came to Jesus Christ. It's all forgiven and it has nothing to do with you going to heaven. However, as you continue to, to have these things move out of your life, you will find that you grow in your relationship with Jesus. You'll find yourself walking in deeper intimacy with Jesus. You'll find yourself not only knowing that God loves you, but truly experiencing that love and walking in the love of your Father. And ultimately, the goal of all this is that you would minister in the love of your Father, as we walk in as believers, if, as we have these qualities in us, they hinder how we experience relationship with Jesus. They don't take the relationship away. If you're saved, that'll never be taken away. But all of these things get in the way of that. Um, and they're folly. So Lord Jesus, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for your mercy and goodness on our lives. We thank you for the word of God. Lord, I, I pray that uh, that all that don't know you would come to know you, Lord, that would come to trust in Jesus Christ. Indeed, Lord, when I see all these qualities, they drive me to the foot of the cross, knowing my need of Jesus. Lord, forgive me for the pride in my life and the boastfulness and my over-concern with money, Lord, and I, the fact that I think about myself and my own interests just all the time, Lord. Um, just forgive me, Lord Jesus. And Lord, I thank you that they show me my need for you. And Lord, as a believer, as your, as your son, Father, I do ask you to help me and to help us. That as believers, where we still see these things active in our lives and impeding on how we experience relationship with you, help us, Holy Spirit, to and purify us of these things, Lord. 
Help us to repent of these qualities in our life, Lord Jesus. Um, and Father, for all those who were, this is actually their identity. For those who, who, in, who not only walk in these qualities, but want to walk in these qualities, Lord Jesus, I pray you would have mercy on them and open their eyes and drive them to receive you as their Lord and Savior. Drive them to be convicted about the wrong of these things that they may come to know Jesus, and that when they see these qualities in their life, they're convicted over them, and they want to walk out of them, out of love for Jesus. Father, we love you, we bless you, and we thank you. We commit this time into your hands. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you for listening to this teaching from Kingdom Discipleship. For more information about our ministry, please visit www.kingdomd.org.